You are listening to the sermon podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Church in Savannah. We are an Episcopal congregation in the Diocese of Georgia, and you can find out more about us by visiting www.stmichaelsavannah.com. I'm with temptation. Um, if you um, <laughs> if you go back like through the history of art in Christianity and you look at the images for the devil for Satan. Um, They all kind of look the same, don't they? It's just this kind of ghoulish, ghastly, hideous figure. Um, And even even in cartoons, you know, he's got horns and a pitchfork and a pointed tail. Listen, if that's how the devil came to tempt us, we'd have no problem. We wouldn't go near it. We know better. Um, That's not how temptation works at all. Uh, and we get a good glimpse of that in the Old Testament reading this morning. Uh, I love, I love this story. Y'all know the story out of me. The whole thing's uh, just full of stuff to talk about. Um, do, how many of y'all know who Louis Grizzard was? Do y'all remember Louis Grizzard? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't know, because we had somebody at 8 o'clock who didn't know. We had, we had a Yankee in our midst. Um, he was a humorist and a columnist for the AJC for years and years and years. And and, and a true Southerner at heart and wrote about all the stuff that Southerners care about. And one time uh, he had this joke about the difference between being naked and being naked. <laughs> right? You know that joke? If you're naked, well, you just don't happen to have any clothes on. But if you're naked, you don't have any clothes on and you're up to something. <laughs> now, in the Old Testament reading today, in one bite of an apple, Adam and Eve go from being naked to being naked. And they're up to something, and now they're embarrassed. And uh, if you look at how they got themselves in that trouble, there are no horns and pitchforks and pointy tails. <coughs> Instead, it's a perfectly reasonable, logical question that the serpent poses to them. Did God say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Oh, we can eat from anyone we want, just not this one. Well, why not? Well, because if we eat it or if we touch it, well, we're going to die. Oh, you're not going to die. You won't die at all. In fact, if you eat it, you're going to be just like God is. You'll know the difference between right and wrong. You will be as wise as God. Ooh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Things are really never quite as good as they sound. Temptation, when it comes to us, um, looks much more like the serpent in the garden than any of the depictions of the devil in art. There's something always appealing and reasonable and logical to us. And even if it doesn't sit quite right with us, we certainly can rationalize. And justify that, well, in this situation, for me, this is okay. I can do this. And if you look at the gospel reading uh, for today, um, it's kind of the same thing. And Jesus has been out in the wilderness now. He got baptized and the Spirit said, we're going out in the desert. So they go out in the desert, and he's there 40 days, 40 nights, done not eat. He's starving. He's hungry. And along comes the devil. 
And he says, oh, well, you're hungry. There sure are a lot of rocks around here. You're the son of God. You can do whatever you want. Why don't you just turn some of these rocks into bread? You can have something to eat. And, you know, then you'll be well-fed and nourished for the work that you've got to do in front of you. It makes perfect sense. It's not going to hurt anybody to turn those rocks into bread. Nobody's around to see. So nobody will get the wrong idea if they see Jesus out making food out of rocks. It seems perfectly reasonable for Jesus to do this. But he doesn't. He just said, well, we don't live by bread, but by the word of God, by the things that God has promised us. And then the devil says, all right, well, come on, let's go. And so he takes him up to the top of the temple, the highest hill in the country, and he says, all right, son of God, just take a step off. You got a hard job ahead of you of convincing all these people that the son of the carpenter is really the Messiah sent to save them because you don't look like David at all. But this will convince them. They won't have any question about who you are when God sends a legion of angels to catch you on their wings so that you don't even hurt your foot on a rock on the way down. Perfectly reasonable. But Jesus doesn't do it. Nope. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. So um, the devil has one more trick up his sleeve. And he takes him way up to the top of a mountain, shows him the entire world. And he said, all right, look, these are the people that you came to save. Nobody here but you and me. You real quick, bow down to me. I give all of this to you. Your work is done. You can save them all right now. And Jesus just says, get, I've had enough of you. It doesn't really seem like those three things have very much in common, um, other than the subtle, reasonable temptation. But take a step back for just a minute and look at this story as a whole. Uh, Jesus is in the Jordan River, and then he's in the desert for 40 days. Does this sound vaguely like any other story that you know from the Old Testament? Where the Hebrew people, after they come out of Egypt, wander in the desert, not for 40 days, but for 40 years, before they finally come across the Jordan River and come into the Holy Land. And during that 40 years, um, some stuff happens. At one point during those uh, 40 years, they come to Moses and they say, hey, listen, um, we had it pretty good back in Egypt. We had three square meals a day. And now you brought us out here just to kill us by hunger. You're going to starve us to death. What you going to do about it? So uh, Moses goes and talks to God and God says, all right, I'm going to give you manna. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for you to eat. But here is the catch. You only get it for one day at a time. <coughs> You can't keep any from today to tomorrow because you've got to trust that tomorrow I'm going to give it to you again. And what do we do? We tried to keep some until tomorrow because we couldn't quite bring ourselves to believe that God was going to follow through on his promise. So uh, we're happy about the bread. We kind of get past that. Um, and then 
uh, we decide, all right, Moses, you're, you're doing okay for us. Um, but we, we really need to know that God is with us and, and not just you. And Moses says, all right, I got this. Look, I'm going to go up on this mountain and talk to God about this. Y'all hang out here until I get back. Well, um, Moses didn't come right back. He was kind of gone for a little while. And the people said, all right, well, Moses is gone. He, he's left us. Uh, we got no God. We got no Moses. Aaron, you're going to have to fix this for us. Make us a God that we can worship. And Aaron said, yeah, I got you. Bring me all your gold. Out comes the golden calf. We make it past the golden calf. We're still kind of traveling around. And um, <clears throat> now we get thirsty. And, and, and so we come to Moses and we're like, all right, listen, we appreciate the bread. That, that was pretty cool. Uh, sorry we doubted you when you didn't come right down the mountain right away. Um, but you know what? We're getting thirsty. And uh, we're not really sure you should be in charge anymore. What you going to do about that? So Moses says to God, look, I'm in trouble. They're about to revolt. They're going to they're gonna run me out. And, Moses, and God says to Moses, I got this. Look, um, I want you to go up this rock. And I just want you to tell the rock that I said water's going to come out. Don't do anything else. I got this. Just talk to the rock. Anybody know what Moses does? Hits the rock with his stick, right? Because he's going to show these people, I got this. Let me take care of you. You can put your trust in me to get you to the holy land. Do you see what happens in these two stories? We go out, out of Egypt, wandering in the wilderness. God says, here's the rule about bread. Don't do this. And we do. Here's the rule about who you worship. Don't do this. And we do. I'm in charge and not Moses. And Moses can't quite let that happen. Every time we have this opportunity to place our trust solely in God and in the promises of God... We don't, because the alternative seems so much more reasonable and logical and appealing and close at hand. And so what we see in this temptation story is after Jesus is baptized, he goes back to the beginning of our journey towards the promised land, back out into the wilderness and retraces those steps that we took. Except every time he comes to that place where we chose the wrong path, he chose the right one. Whether it was bread or worship or power, all the things that <coughs> tripped us up, Jesus set straight again. The alternatives are all very reasonable and logical and appealing. But he chose not to place his trust in what was close at hand, but instead in the promises of God. That's, that's where we are. Temptation, when it comes to us, uh, generally is very reasonable, um, very logical, very appealing, and usually close at hand. And left to our own devices most of the time, that's what we're going to pick. But we walk in the footsteps of Jesus.
who has set that path straight for us again and laid out the way for us to follow him, trusting not just in our ability to make the right decision, but instead on the promises of God, which do not fail and lead us always to eternal life. Amen. Amen.